The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Welcome to the creek. I'm Pastor Matt. If this is your first time here, uh, there's a guest card somewhere around you. We'd love to have you fill that out so we can get some information into your hands about who we are and um, you understand some of the crazy things that we like to do around here, like go to concerts. Um, all those young kids and their loud rock and roll. Um, actually, it's a great. It's a, that's a great tour um, and a great worship night. I mean, it's not just a concert. That's going to be a worship night, and you are going to be taught the Word of God. Uh, side note: If it's a Saturday, I do expect you here at the early service. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We've been uh, journeying through the Book of Acts, and today we're going to finish Chapter One. And uh, so, if you've got your Bible, go to Acts Chapter One. <clears throat> we're going to spend our teaching time in there. And uh, the class that, that Trin was talking about, I'm excited about. A couple things that we really uh, got as impressed on us for 2013 is to really kind of galvanize and organize our core. And so last week we held a core class, um, bringing, bringing new people into the core. And uh, now what we do is we start some processes. If you need some help in growing in faith, then we, want, we have classes set up that can help you build a spiritual foundation. And it's not just knowledge in the Word. It is getting involved in community and getting around people to where life-building relationships happen. My community group, the one I joined, is the Bible in 90 Days. Uh, let, me, let me challenge you. If you've never read the Bible cover to cover, I challenge you to do that. You may not be able to do it in 90 days, um, but I challenge you to do that. I mean, it, it, it's, it's cooking it on the reading in that one. It's going to be pretty incredible. But we have a great lineup of classes that, started, uh, that start this week, and so I highly encourage that. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to tell you, 2013 as a church, as, a, as the pastor and what I've brought my team on board with, it's the, called the, we call it the year of process. And so we want to have our processes locked in place and clicking and working We want to see people growing. Um, We don't want to be a church that gets into this mode of settling where we think, oh, we're good, or never as a church can we say we've arrived. And so it's all about getting everything moving in the right direction. And and that's kind of what the disciples are doing in Acts chapter 1 at this point, because a lot's happened over the last six weeks of their life. Uh, Jesus was crucified, was resurrected, appeared to over 500 people. And then he spent 40 days with the disciples um, on earth before his ascension. The apostles are in the upper room. When we pick up in Acts chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 15. We'll go 15 through 26 this week. Uh, But I'm calling today uh, leadership, the gospel, and lots. Because what you're going to see is, is... all of these things working so that the process is in place, so that the core is engaged, and so that the ministry starts to launch. There's a time of preparation before launch. And what we're going to understand today is the disciples, honestly, are going to have to deal with a situation of filling a vacancy. I don't know if you've ever had to fill a vacancy. If you have that situation where people report to you, and you've got to find the right person for the right job, it is, it, it's, it's really a little bit overwhelming sometimes um, because you, you uh, I'm just going to say it, as, as someone who has to hire staff for the church, you get into this mindset that, man, this, I don't have a lot of room for failure here. Now, <laughs> you know, think about what, is all, what all's on the line when you hire a staff person in a church. The disciples were probably wrestling with a much bigger scenario of that. Okay, okay, we got a vacancy in the, the apostleship. And so 
man, we've got to get this higher right. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, the, the, the disciples were uh, minus one. And you've heard the phrase, everything rises and falls on leadership. There's this idea in the church uh, that deals with a lot of disappointment. I talk to a lot of people who at one time have been in church and no longer want to have anything to do with it because of disappointment. That disappointment centers on people. That a lot of times that disappointment centers on a leader in the church. Uh, we've all seen leaders fall. In the church, it happens very publicly, and uh, the enemy likes to mix it up and make it really messy. Uh, you've all probably read headlines, seen news stories, uh, seen issues of a pastor or someone prominent in ministry fall, and it gets just exploited. And I, I'm, not, I'm not given sympathy. I think we need to give grace. But I think we also need to understand this idea of disappointment. I, I had to answer a question I was confronted with. If Jesus is the head of the church and Jesus is perfect, then why is the church so messed up? And let me tell you, that, that was a hard, at first ask, my, my first thought is get defensive because the church, I want to protect the church. I love the church. The church is the bride of Christ. You cannot say you love Jesus and hate the church. That would be like you telling me, Matt, I love you, but I can't stand your wife. You and I are going to have problems, you know? That, that's putting it mildly. We will have serious issues. But, but it's a valid question. I mean, honestly, we need to wrestle with it. If Jesus is perfect and he's the head of the church, why does the church have so many issues? It's because God chooses to work through broken people for the mission of the gospel. You tracking with that? God chooses to use broken people. He redeems them. He brings them into a reconciled relationship with himself. And he says, now take on this mission. I think that we have this scenario because it shows us that the gospel works. The gospel is that Jesus was crucified and was resurrected and that through that we can have life. We can have a relationship with God and it shows us that the gospel works. And I think we have to understand that the gospel is going to work. Leaders, people, we're going to fail. We're going to disappoint you. You've heard the statement, it's not uh, if or how you fall, but it's how you get back up. Now, I think there has to be a process and we're going we're gonna to spend some time talking through all this process. But let's get into this. Acts chapter 1, verse 15. Um, I'm going to read a little bit, then we're going we're gonna to teach a little bit. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbered about 120. Peter, the last time we really saw much of Peter, especially speaking publicly, is when he cursed out the woman about Jesus. When she's like, you were with Jesus, weren't you? And, and he made, her, made it very well known that he was not with him. And then Peter gets into this conversation with Jesus on the seashore. But Peter stood up among the believers. This parenthetical note, a group of about 120, Luke was writing because he knew the context of this culture. In order for a Jewish community to be legitimate, they had to have 120 people. So what Luke is doing here is very smart. He's putting it in saying there's about 120 people in there because when the Jewish people read this, there's validation that there's a legitimate community happening. I mean, we're, we're the Creek Church. We are a legitimate community. Jesus is at the center of us. The thing I love about Luke is he knew his culture and he knew how to speak to it. We'll teach that another time. And said, to, said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. 
He was one of our number and shared in his ministry. Let me stop there. There's, there's a little bit of disappointment happening in this upper room. Let me, let's just call it like it is. You've got Peter who actually stands up. There might be some people in the upper room that, that hadn't seen the experience that Peter had with Jesus when he was restored and, and thought, who is he to get up and talk? He's got a lot of nerve. I know what happened. I heard what happened. And so Peter stands up. So I'm sure there are people looking at him going, yeah, I'm not listening to that, Jack. Forget that. He's messed up. How can he start talking about Jesus when the last thing he said was he was cursing Jesus? And then he he talks about Judas. And Judas betrayed Jesus. Let's look at these two leaders for a second. I did something really elementary in your note sheet. I actually had fun putting this together this week. It's matching. I don't know if you remember in third grade, you know, we're going to go old school. um, But in third grade, when you had to draw the line on the matching, oh, I love those. But if you get one wrong, it's gonna, the whole thing's going to domino, right? <laughs> you know, it's not the, the abacadabra method of Scantron, you know. <laughs> Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. That's okay. Abacadabra, A-B-B-A-C-C. It's just a logical guess. Scientific method, we'll call it. Uh, but you're going to get the match. But let's look at some of these leaders. They both fell. They both sinned against God. The, the difference is what happened in the result of after the fall. Remember, it's not how you fall, but how you get back up. I mean, you, you've got Judas and Peter. Let's take a little look at them. Uh, Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. I mean, either way, Jesus is in the crossfire, and Jesus is the object of the hurt there. They both sinned against God. When you look at it, Peter didn't want Jesus to be crucified. He said, he said to Jesus, I'm not going to let anybody harm you. And what did Jesus say? He said, get behind me, Satan. I, I, I love it when Jesus speaks to me, but I would never want to hear Jesus say that to me. I would cry. I'd curl up in a ball. Every sensitivity issue that I ever had and ever will have will bubble to the surface if Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I'd be like, it's just done, you know? The actions that Judas took led to the crucifixion of Jesus. So one didn't want it to happen. The other one actually opened the door for it to happen. And then afterwards, what happens is this. Peter humbles himself before Jesus. In your future reading in in John, uh, Peter recognizes that it's Jesus on the seashore. And he takes off his outer cloak and he jumps in the water. He swims to Jesus. He humbles himself before Jesus. Judas dealt with pride. And, And pride led Judas to say, I have messed up to the point this cannot be fixed. He took the 30 pieces of silver that he was given to betray Jesus, he went and threw it at the temple leaders and he went out and killed himself. So what you have with, with Peter is restoration and what you have with Judas is suicide. It, it, it's really where the enemy tries to lead us in when we fall that he tries to tell us this one thing. See, Peter came to Jesus and the resurrection, the gospel tells us that Jesus paid for it, that the resurrection leads to restoration. And Peter humbled himself and let Jesus restore him. Judas fell into the trap of religion that says you've got to pay for it before you can come to Jesus. 
Peter said, I'm going to let Jesus pay for it. Judas said, I'll pay for it. And he gave his life trying to pay for it. But here's the sad part. Judas couldn't handle the debt. So you've got these two leaders that honestly have disappointed people in the upper room. Jesus didn't disappoint them, but the leaders did. So you really start to get into this structure where where there can be some problems. And Judas leaves a vacancy. Let me just give you this encouragement. Fallen leaders, parents, fallen parents, husbands, wives, when you fall, kids, when you fall, there can be restoration. The gospel still works. In Colossians, we see that Jesus has reconciled all things to himself through the cross. The gospel still works. If, you, if you're a parent and you've, you're, you're new to the Christianity thing and you've told your kids, we're going to live lives following Jesus. We're going to do this. And then you stumble, you fall. You know what? Humble yourself and say, I'm sorry. I'm still learning this. Kids, if you've fallen, there, there, there might need to be forgiveness given to your parents regardless of how old you are. You might need to go humble yourself to your parents and you say, you know what? I'm sorry. But the gospel still works and restoration can happen. Stop judging people. Stop judging Jesus based on the actions of broken people. That's dangerous ground. Um, let's keep going. Um, Jesus, uh, here, let me say this though. Jesus gave him what he could afford to lose. Think about the two leaders, Peter and Judas. He didn't give Judas something that would train wreck the whole gospel, right? This, this whole idea of leadership, you give what you can trust them to lose. It's kind of like your kids. You know how much to give them, when to give them. <laughs> Because if they lose it or break it, it's okay. Think about what Jesus gave Judas. He gave him the money. Would it be all right if Jesus lost the money in his ministry? If Judas like, Jesus, I lost all the money. Is that all right? Yeah. Jesus owns everything anyway. He didn't trust Judas with the gospel message. He trusted that with Peter. But he didn't trust it with Peter so much that he could train wreck the entire gospel. That's the beauty of of how Jesus trusts people. Uh, Jesus takes risks on messed up people. Just say it that way. I love that. What did it say? Jesus took risks on messed up people. That's the gospel at work. Here's the thing to remember. Jesus set boundaries in his relationships with Judas, with Peter. This is, an, this is also another teaching for another time. Set boundaries. Ladies, single ladies, Set some boundaries because you don't want to give a man what you can't afford to lose. Guys, don't try to take it. Set boundaries in your relationships. We'll teach that another time. (laughs) Verse 18. We're writing all kinds of messages today going through Acts chapter 1, right? We're not in a hurry to get through Acts, by the way. (laughs) With the reward Judas got for his wickedness, he bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. (laughs) There's a nice pre-lunch image. (laughs) Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language a keldama, that is, the field of blood. For Peter said, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Um, What's going on here? Uh, a lot of questions. If you've, if you've read the gospel account of Matthew um, and what happened with Judas is he received the money, he went through the guilt, he threw the money back at the temple leaders, and he went out and hanged himself. Um, and here it says that Judas bought a field. 
and then he fell and his intestines spilled out. Luke was a doctor, so he loved the details, right? He's like, I've got to work intestines in here. It's like the band was like, Matt, you got to work in that whoop that gangum style, you know? And it's got to be, they're like, you got to do it every, all three services. So I had to work that in. Luke had to work intestines in, all right? Um, his is much more gross than mine. Of course, I actually did a dance move, so that might have been more gross than the intestines. I'm glad this isn't going to be video podcasted. Sorry in the cafe. <laughs> All right, where was I? There's not a contradiction here. Uh, The way the account goes is Judas threw the money at the priest in the temple, the leaders in the temple. And this money, it was like hot potato. I mean, it's like when somebody pays for the food at the drive-thru and they don't want to take your money, so you leave it in the cup holder. You know, it's like, I don't want it. No, you take it. I don't want it. If I'm a third party, that's like, give it to me. I'll carry the burden. But Judas didn't want the money anymore because he had betrayed Jesus. That's what he received. The leader's like, that's blood money. I don't want it. So what they did is they went out and bought a field. But they didn't want their names tied to it. They bought the field in Judas's name. And then it's believed that on this field of blood, there's actually some cliffs and some trees. And I don't know if you've ever seen Castaway. You know, he tested the rope first. Um, Judas didn't do that. The belief is that he hung himself and the weight of his body broke the branch and he fell. Um, and in falling, it, all the intestines spilled out. And so there's no contradiction of what's going on, but Judas met a terrible fate. Let me say this, that the goal is restoration. God desires to restore. I, I really believe if Judas would have humbled himself, that he could have been on the shore with Peter and the other disciples, and Jesus would have restored him, and they wouldn't have this vacancy. But when restoration isn't an option, you're going to see what the disciples do. Uh, Peter spoke it, said in the book of Psalms, this is what it says, another take his place. If restoration can't happen, you replace. You know, we look at that with our staff. We're not quick to throw our staff to the curb when they go through hard times. You know, we, we want to do checkups with our team often. If there's issues, we want to know. We're going to help you through it. And the goal is always restoration. But if it's not, then there's a replacement. And I'm not preparing you for a staff change. Please. I hope I'm not preparing myself for a staff change. Uh, God, are we speaking prophetically? No, I'm just kidding. All of our staff can take a deep breath. Ha, ha, ha. Um, but I, I believe that um, when Christians fall, it doesn't change the gospel and it doesn't change the mission. It shows that the gospel works. Let's go on. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of them who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Apostle just means one who is sent. Let me help clear up some some, uh, issues in the church around this idea of apostles. There is still an apostolic ministry. The church still takes on an apostolic ministry in that Jesus is sending us. But the, the actual office or position of apostle does not exist anymore. Here's why. What are the requirements for the position? They have to have been with us from the time Jesus was baptized 
been with us in the going in and coming out of Jesus, been eyewitnesses to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That is the requirement for the office of apostle. There is no one on earth alive today that fills those requirements. But the ministry of the apostolic ministry still carries on. I want to clear that up because I just I, I, I see the signs of everything of rabbi so-and-so and bishop so-and-so and apostle so-and-so. Apostles don't exist anymore. I'm sorry, they don't. Um, change it over to Rev or Pastor or whatever you want to do. Um, and then lots. This was, a, this was a way that they used uh, in secular society and in the church in the first century. The way this would happen, it would be like a shooting dice, we'll call it. Um, they put, here's what happened in the upper room. They have a stone box and they took two cubes of stone. They wrote Justice or, or Barsabbas on one of them. They wrote Matthias on the other one. They prayed. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us who it is. They drop the dice in the box. They shake the box. The first one to hit the ground is it. That's how they would cast lots um, in the first century. Here's some things to remember. There's, There's this process. They set out the requirements. This is the requirements for the replacement. Then they prayed. God, you know everyone's heart. And then they used the lots to discern and trust God's will. We don't have to do that today. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the gift of discernment. Remember, they're in the upper room waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. We don't have to cast lots. We do that the same thing at the creek. I don't know. I I feel like I'm educating you on how we do staff decisions, but we look at four areas. We call it the four C's. We look at character, competence, calling, and chemistry. And just because they meet all four of those doesn't mean they're in. When we look at those four, then we pray, God, show us that you know the hearts of people. Show us. Give us discernment. And then we trust God's will and we pray it in. So we have the requirements. We have the filter. Then we pray it in. Then we act on it. That's the way we roll at the creek. Um, what I want to do with, with all this information, we just, you just saw and read the first business meeting at the church. I don't know. If, I grew up in church. I mean, we would have a business meeting on Sunday night. And it was, always, it was always a process, man. We would have the potluck. You know, the ladies would show up for choir practice at 4 o'clock. They would place all their mayonnaise-based casseroles on a table until after the service. I only remember this because it made me so sick. And then we would have church, and then we would do the church business meeting. And I remember as a kid sitting there going, I, I would just sit there the whole time pray for Jesus to come back. I was like, Jesus, please take me now because I can't sit through this anymore. Man, you know, you would always hope, if somebody gets saved, will they call the business meeting? Um, But this is the first business meeting of the church. They are setting the leadership structure to prepare for launch. These were imperfect people that were taking the gospel to the world. Let's talk a little bit about how to handle disappointment with people. Because whether it's a leader, whether it's a husband, whether it's a wife, whether it's your children that disappoint you, or your boss, a coworker, a subordinate, we all deal with this issue of disappointment with people. People fall. And so how do we as the church then get into this process of trying to move to a goal of restoration? I took this process. My daughter has started driver's ed. Um, and my prayer life has jumped up significantly. It will jump up even more when the permit is handed to my child. Uh, 
and uh, her mom and I, her mom and her have to gonna have to go on the road. Um, <laughs> no, actually, I'll have to do it. Um, she had the the video going the other night, and they were talking about railroad crossings. And um, you know, we live in Saginaw, so we understand the railroad crossings. And uh, sadly, they make them a little too long now to get through. I don't do that. Don't propose that at all. <laughs> Let me tell you the legal way and the way that driver's ed teaches us how to approach a train crossing. Stop, look, listen, and then act or proceed. So you are to stop, then you look for a train, then you listen for a train because they have those horns. You know, <laughs> I can hear trains in the middle of the night. And then when, there's, when it's clear, then you proceed with caution. I think handling people and disappointment with people has a parallel um, way to interact, a parallel way to act. I think the first thing we got to do when we get disappointed is we got to stop. You know, James tells us, don't say anything in our anger. Be uh, quick to listen and slow to anger. So just stop. Take a time out. Whatever it is you got to do, walk away. But get, get quiet. Get away. This is going to help. Trust me, this is going to help us from making a quick decision and engaging in a way that does not glorify God. This is that moment where you, the sensory moment where you get input, process, and output. This stop calls a pause in the process so that you don't say something hot-headed and that you have to clean up later. Does that make sense? I'm sure we've all done that. It's the foot and mouth syndrome. Sadly, sometimes I don't taste the foot until the heel's all the way at the back of the throat. Just going to call that out. And then we look. Turn your heart to God. Look to God for, for the response here. Look to God with how we should handle it. Um, it, it really means this. We humble ourselves Because I've been hurt. I've been disappointed, and then instead of looking to God, I look in the mirror and go, poor you. You've been hurt. You're a victim. You deserve some sympathy. You know what? Humble yourself. Even if you're the one that's hurt, if you're the one that's disappointed, it's very important to humble yourself. But if you've been disappointed, humble yourself. God, this is not my pride on the line. God, I'm, I'm looking to you. And let him start to, to face it. It's basically like this. You stop, you take a time out, and then you surrender this into hands much bigger than yours. Then, then you let the God of the universe start working in this. And then you listen. Listen to direction from God. It's finding your footing in the Bible. Let me challenge you on this. This does not mean digging in Scripture and finding a verse that fits your cause. You may have heard it said, I'm just going to go Old Testament on them. Bring out the stones, right? Or you're like, Jesus or God, you said right here in your word that you'll heap hot coals on their head. I like that. I like that. You said here this is a stonable offense. Instead of Jesus bring the rain, Jesus bring the rocks, right? Um, No, take the context. Let Scripture minister to you. If you really want to understand this, it's letting God's character shape you and form you. 
The only way you're going to know the character of God is to read the character of God. Understand how God handles the situations. It's not a guide to say, hey, when your coworker takes the credit for the report that you actually worked late for five nights in a row, here's how to handle it. No, it's not going to tell you that. It's going to show you the character of God. If you want an example, look at Jesus in the Gospels. Even look at, at Peter, how Jesus restored Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. The rooster crows. Peter is sad, and Jesus restores him. So look at that restoration process when we get hurt. And then you proceed. You take faithful action. I want to spend a minute here talking about how we do this. Because it's easy for us to say, hey, step back from the situation, look to God, pray about it, get in his word, see what he has to say, and then act. That's where a lot of the gray area happens. Let let me help you with the action. After you've submitted this to God and heard what he's had to say, then you act in a way that honors and glorifies God, not vindicates you. You act in a way that honors and glorifies God. You don't have to cast lots. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit called discernment. Use it. Ladies, you don't start dating a guy because you back into his car at Walmart. That's not casting lots. You don't take these coincidental signs that may exist and think that's lots. The Holy Spirit has given you the gift of discernment. Use it. Set your requirements. Pray it in and use discernment. Just because a guy fits all the parameters doesn't mean he's your guy. Okay, that's just a side note. Um, Restoration is always the goal. Uh, Let me share this with you. We always say this, that we want to love people and make Jesus clear. When, When we act in a way that glorifies God, when we take the faithful action, that's when we can walk away from that situation going, I showed love to this person and I made Jesus clear. You can't control the response that you'll receive. But you can act in a way that honors God every time. And that's going to mean humbling yourself and saying, God, I'm going to lay my hurt aside and I'm going to confront this person and I'm asking you for the words to say. I'm asking you for the help in this conversation. And I'm asking you that regardless of how this goes, that I can glorify you with how I handle the situation. That's how we proceed with faithful action. That's in the home, that's in the workplace, that's on the highway, that's in the church. We see that even in the upper room. Let me give you this, this, this thought. Before you uh, engage a person, you want to go to the right person at the right time and make sure you're in the right spirit. The right, going to the right person is going to keep you from gossiping about it and telling everybody else about your hurt and building an army so that that all of you can go and confront it. You want to go to the right person. The right person is the one that disappointed you. And then you want to go at the right time. Remember, take that time out. You don't want to go at a public setting. Pray about it. And then make sure you're in the right spirit. Make sure you're not coming to, to get your hurt unloaded. Let God help you with your hurt. And then go in the right spirit so reconciliation is the goal. Bottom line is we're all going to deal with disappointment. 
in the church and outside of the church. It becomes our mission to let the gospel work even in our disappointment, just like these apostles did. And they went out and they changed the world. So this is a safe place for us to deal with disappointment, for us to love each other through disappointment, for Jesus to be made clear in disappointment, and then we go out and we change the world. We've got to stop walking away from Jesus every time we get hurt. Jesus has not disappointed you. Stop judging Jesus based on his followers. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and we know that you are perfect. We know that uh, we have a perfect head, but we know that parts of the body we can struggle with, and, and even parts of the body struggle with each other. So we ask for the unity that your Holy Spirit brings. And Father, we ask for the discernment that your Holy Spirit brings, that we don't have to go by chance or, or, or cast lots, but we can, we can trust the discernment of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I know that through this teaching, we've all brought back past situations where we've dealt with disappointment or we've dealt with a hurt in the past. Or Father, even maybe some of us in this room might be coming back to church for the first time in so many years because we were still dealing with a hurt. I pray that you begin to speak to us in that hurt. I pray that you begin to move in our life for reconciliation. Lord, bring us into reconciliation with you so that we can then become ambassadors with a message and a ministry of reconciliation. And Father, I pray that that in our relationships, that when we deal with hurt and disappointment, that you help us with the power of the Holy Spirit to just stop, to turn to you, to submit all of our hurt to you. Father, even submit all of our pride to you and that you will minister and speak to us in a way that that we act that glorifies you. I pray that you equip us to be the men and women that you send out to love people and to make Jesus clear. Father, I pray that before we can tell anyone about how the gospel works, I pray that that the gospel becomes a reality in our life. That the resurrection of Jesus becomes a a reality in our life and that we live every day as a reflection of the glory of God. Not in just how we live our spiritual life on Sunday or how we handle moments, but Father, how we walk through life, bringing you glory with how we handle relationships with other people. We pray that you use that to change the world. We love you so much, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.